My name's Romy, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Romy. Hi, Romy. Romy. Uh, that's like my on button I found um, since my um, sobriety. Once I say that, the butterflies tend to disappear, and I'm among my fellows, and I start feeling more comfortable, and um, I know I'm right where I need to be. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Lynn. Thank you, Kent. Thank you for everyone who put this meeting together. This really is a privilege. It's a real privilege anytime I get to be of service in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and, and we say yes in Alcoholics Anonymous. I was taught that from the beginning, and, and I was also taught that when we get busy, we get better. And uh, so that's what I'm doing here. I'm, I'm getting busy. And, um, and I hope that um, you all can feel a little bit of um, the joy that I have for Alcoholics Anonymous. I love Alcoholics Anonymous with my whole heart, and I'm so happy to be here tonight. Oh, my goodness, I've already heard so much tonight. I'm already filled up. I, um, Ronnie, your birthday share touched me so much. Um, what a beautiful story, a family story, you know, that's written about in our big book, The Family Afterward. You know, our families come back together. Um, um, this disease can be arrested and we can have happy endings and new beginnings and things can, magical things can happen here. And then Ricky, oh my gosh, she has such a special place in my heart. Ricky, you did so good. Your story was amazing. And how brave, how brave you are to come share with us. I know this isn't easy. And, and thank you. You and your family um, are just so close to my heart and you are such a fine example of this program um young and on fire for aa there's just nothing like it you fill me up every time i hear you share and speak and and tonight was no exception i got to hear a little bit more and and i love that and that's what we get to do here we, we share a little bit more of ourselves every time and, and we get to break down the walls and, and make connections and that's something i did not know how to do when i got here i did not know how to do that um i couldn't i couldn't have um just the idea of speaking to somebody uh, looking up, you know, instead of looking at the ground. I, I had no tools, none at all. I grew up um, frightened. I, I always thought, like, if I were a, like a dog, you know, um, I would be a chihuahua. I just shaking all the time, just terrified all the time. Those are my earliest memories were of massive fear, just just massive fear. And then um, the second memory I have is try to cover it up, cover it up, don't let anybody know. And um, and and that's that's how I live. That's, I feel like that's kind of how I came into the world. And and then it, it was not. Um, it, it just didn't go away until I found you guys. <laughs> I'm so grateful that I found you. Something that I never set out to do was become an alcoholic and be in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. But I am so pleased to tell you um, it's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And uh, so a little kid, eight years old, getting tested for ulcers, you know, it, it, I, I was a stress case. I was a stress case. I heard someone in a meeting once say that she, she could have used a quaalude in kindergarten. And I can relate to that. I, I can relate to that. And, um, you know, and things get worse from there and uh and and i live my life with all these stomach aches um feeling so sorry for myself um wanting sympathy from people that it never came um i you know i grew up in a dysfunctional home i think most people kind of i don't know i guess there's a few really really nice lovely homes um you know that turn out alcoholics too it doesn't matter i've heard that that gives me an interesting inventory but that doesn't make me alcoholic so um i was told to um, pull myself up by the bootstraps and carry on. You know, I was so nervous every morning before school, so nervous, couldn't eat breakfast. And I remember when I was a little girl, we sang this silly song, what did you have for breakfast? I had toast, I had eggs. And and I and I was just sitting there going, well, I gotta lie my way through this too, because I don't eat breakfast, because I'm afraid I'm gonna throw up. And, um, you know, so I, you know, I was a, a toast girl. I, that was a lie, like my, my lying began 
back then. And, um, but nobody knew it. Nobody knew it. I wouldn't share it with anybody. And then the lies got bigger. The secrets got bigger. And, and I became more and more uncomfortable, more and more uncomfortable constantly. Um, I, um, my anxiety grew worse, you know, I started at eight, grew worse by 13. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about suicide because I just don't see any way out. You know, um, I've been to one or two therapists, um, that want to talk to me about stress management and, um, being brave. And, um, and I thought I was trying that I was trying to manage my stress. And I was trying really hard to be brave. Um, and it, it just wasn't working. Keep moving on. When I was 15, I did attempt suicide. I was just absolutely uncomfortable. My skin, it was another Monday morning. I could not face going to school because just the, the twisting and turning of my stomach and the lies I had to keep floating up in the air. I just couldn't do it anymore. And, and I, and I OD'd on something that it would never, ever, ever have killed me. It was stomach medicine, right? Because I, I was being treated for these ulcers and things like that. And, and so it was an overdose of basically Pepto Bismol, but you know, it came in a prescription bottle and, um, and I took, um, two of them, two full prescription bottles. My mom was already at work and my sister was home with me and my sister and I were not very close. She was 15 months older than I, and, and she was my bully my whole life. I didn't have to seek outside help to become bullied. That, that happened in my own house. So, so I took all these pills and realized that was a bad idea. And now in retrospect, I realized I didn't want to die. I just wanted help. I did not want to die. So I woke my sister up and I told her she better call 911. And then she um, told me my mom was going to kill me. And then she proceeded to call my mom first and then 911. And then I got to the hospital. And um, I got introduced to a bunch of kids at College Hospital that were drinkers and druggers. They did drugs, they did everything. And I got quite the education on um, what's uh, ways to party. And I still thought I'm better than them. I had I had this ego thing going. Um, I'm better than them. Why would I Why would I turn to drugs? Right? Like it just didn't occur to me that it would solve my problem. And um, so I left that college hospital. I carried on my high school career until the first day of my senior year, um, and I had a full blown panic attack. The kind where um, you know I, I couldn't breathe, I couldn't hear. I felt like I was in a well. And again, I'm trying to fake it. I'm trying to carry on. I'm trying to um, not let anybody know what's happening to me. Went home. Went to bed and um thought i was i was dying and um i didn't know what that was i woke up from my um nap or my passing out i'm not sure what it was told my mom i can't go to school anymore she said well you can't live in this house and not graduate from high school so figure it out and and i say that and it sounds kind of cold and it felt kind of cold to me at the time but um again in retrospect and putting myself in my mother's shoes you know dealing with this anxious child for years and years and years um it took its toll on her and she was doing the best that she could and um so i i called the high school myself and asked them what the alternative programs were and we ended up setting up something i did um independent study you know, from my home, I uh, went to school one, or went to a teacher's uh, room once a week and, um, you know, no, no prom and um, no activities, but they would let me walk with my class to graduate. And so that's what I did. Um, around that same time, I found a boyfriend <laughs> and um, and because I was maintaining, you know, nobody knew the crazy. The crazy did not really show on the outside. You know, I just thought I just I'm, I'm just too cool for high school. That's why I'm doing the independent study. And it's a it's a story I told and it's a story I started to believe and everybody else believed it, too. Um, so I had this boyfriend and um, and I thought that that love 
that love would cure me. And it did for just a little, a little while. And, um, so I became dependent on that love. I came, became dependent on that man and the boy, really, he was a boy. And, and when we were still children, we got married. I was 19, he was 21. And we thought that was a good idea. And we thought that, that we could, we could live a life, um, that would be, um, beautiful and fantastic and look good on the outside. We weren't really getting along all that well. Uh, we didn't really have a deep connection. It was just sort of like two friends that ended up together. And here we are. We're just getting married. This is what we do. Uh, my marriage becomes more and more um, difficult. My anxiety is um, raining off the charts now. I can't hold a job. Um, so I decide, um, and I'm, but I'm lying. I can't hold a job. So it's not like, well, the jobs aren't working. The jobs just really aren't for me. So maybe I need to seek a new way to get a job. I'm working for temporary employment agencies now. So I know that I can just always like tap out if it's too much. And, um, and, um, uh, my husband's getting a little bit frustrated with me. He'd really like me to participate in the household and, and, um, you know, bring some money in and stuff like that. And around that time, I just knew I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't function in this world. And so I thought that I'd do the next best thing and I'd have a baby. I thought, um, if I had a child, then he would allow me to stay home and then I'd be safe. And then I would, he would love me more and, and the baby would need me and, and this would complete me. I have this feeling, this lack inside me that's hard to describe to anyone that isn't in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, but I know that you know what I mean. And it was this lack, it was this hole inside my soul. And I couldn't get rid of it. I couldn't fill it with anything. I had that baby and she was the light of my life and I adore her, but she didn't fix me. It didn't fix what was broken inside me. And I didn't know what was going on. And that marriage imploded, of course, because I couldn't be a helpmate or a proper wife to him. I was an endless vacuum of need and victimhood and anxiety and problems and I couldn't hide them anymore. And, um, and that marriage, like I said, it dissolved. Now, you might notice there's no alcohol, there's no drinking in my story, and I promise it comes for the vengeance. Um, I just never knew that alcohol could solve this problem. And, um, my husband and I happened to um, be in a, in a home. We were kind of young, got married young, moved in um, in this home right here and um, 26 years ago. And uh, all of our neighbors were older and they drank wine at their dinner parties. And I wanted to fit in. Now, I'd never been a wine drinker, you know, like a wine cooler or two in high school, but I was afraid I'd lose control of all the lies I had going on. So I, could, I, I couldn't do that. So, um, but at this dinner party, I didn't think, I, I, I guess I forgot about all the lies I had going on. And, um, and we started to drink and, and at first I did, I did not like the taste, not one little bit, but I did it cause they did it. And then I started liking it. And, um, I also had another little dirty secret, uh, not really a secret, but, um, I, food was, was my coping mechanism. And I grew myself nice after that baby. I never lost the baby weight and I just grew more and I was a hundred pounds heavier than I am today. And, um, and so I started drinking when I was still heavy, but it didn't hit me. I think it couldn't get through all that weight that was on, like there was some chemical something going on there that it couldn't get in there and, and affect me. Um, so I, I'm gaining weight. I'm kind of now interested. I'm very interested in this alcohol situation and, um, marriage falls apart. Husband leaves. I have a new love in my life the new love. And this one's different. This one understands me and, and, and he's helpful and he loves my daughter. And we are this beautiful, cute little family. 
and and it worked for a while that new love it cured me it did just like the first one until it didn't until that hole again it just it just opened up that hole just keeps opening up and um i know now it's because i'm filling it with the wrong things so so that hole's opening up and i'm getting um you know more unhappy and i decided that my weight was the problem so i had weight loss surgery very very quickly i lost 100 pounds now that does something to to your physiology and um i'm still going to these dinner parties now but the less i weigh the more the alcohol hits me and i remember one day sitting at my neighbor's house and thinking you know at this elegant dinner party i was with the fancy people i was with the grown-up people they were all like 10 15 years older than we were and i thought i finally feel like i fit in i'm a grown-up i'm a grown-up now i don't i don't have to feel like i'm lacking anything i'm here with them i'm at the table i'm drinking wine and and uh, they're starting to say things like "Romy's so funny wait till she has a few drinks and and they invite people over almost like i was the circus act like the sideshow and um and and what that did for me was it gave me permission it gave me permission to drink and um for this alcoholic that's all i needed and and so i went to those dinner parties as often as i could i started drinking at home the weight's still coming off um i don't know it's going faster the alcohol coming down or the weight coming off and pretty soon i'm super super skinny because now i don't need to eat i found my solution and my solution was alcohol and it gave me release um more than those loves that i had more than being a mom which is so hard to admit but it's the truth and um i found freedom when i drank and i found peace when i drank and i didn't have to hold any lies up in my head and worry what you thought about me all of a sudden i just didn't care i just didn't care what you thought about me and if it did like cross my mind i thought you loved me because i thought i was fantastic and and everything was lovely and rosy until i start drinking just a little too much and i and i miss that mark i overshoot the mark just a little bit just a little bit just a little too often and now my neighbors are starting to say you know last night was fun but i think if you had stopped at such and such a point then it you know we could have continued the evening would have been better i'm starting to kind of tip over in a chair you know um friend of mine was a florist i i fell into a couple of her floral arrangements um her husband had to walk me home um uh, my husband started leaving the party early and and letting me just you know he couldn't watch it anymore he just couldn't watch it anymore and it was getting um frightening for me again because i'm running out of ideas i know the husbands don't work and the children doesn't work and and i couldn't possibly hold a job because the anxiety is still there and i just didn't know what to do and i thought to myself i'll i'll try to stop drinking i will try to stop drinking things are getting pretty bad my husband is starting to be very very unhappy with me and this is this is my my i didn't want to lose him and i didn't want to lose my daughter and um so he says let's try you know i i came to him and i said you know i know i need to cut down i know i need i i i've, I've tried this is not working i can't do this on my own could you help me and um so we did what what you know every person would do and we we googled it and um you know how do you stop drinking you know what's, what's the smartest way to do that we're not going to call a doctor or anything like that so um so we find out that you're supposed to um you know titrate down in your drinking and um and and we tried that experiment however i'm still i've got a lot of secrets and i've got a lot of lies going on and my husband did not know how much i was drinking and he didn't know because i i hit it i lied about it and and 
And so the titration did not work. This process of, of uh, weaning me off alcohol didn't work. I used to drink wine out of those fishbowl glasses where you could pour like three quarters of a bottle and it was in one glass. I was only a glass, you know, but, but it's a fishbowl and you almost need two hands to drink it. So we're trying this experiment. My daughter at this point is, is at her dad's house for the weekend. And we thought this is a perfect time to stop, um, to try to stop this drinking. And, and uh, on the third day I had a grand mal seizure and um, like it says on the internet, and uh, that this could happen to you on day three. If, if this calculation has not been done properly, your, your life is in danger. And uh, we thought we were smarter than that. That wouldn't happen. We titrated it, you know, properly. Of course, I'm not telling the truth. So that didn't work. And my husband went to um, run me a bath. And, and I have a really, uh, we had a really tall, like, bed, four-poster bed. And, um, and I had a seizure flopped off the bed husband and um, was um, had to run in from the bathroom and find me that way called the paramedics and um and that's how i woke up last thing i know i was eating a popsicle and i was reading the book eat pray love and the next thing i know i'm on the floor and there's paramedics all over my house and um, and we leave the house and i end up in the hospital for the first time now i'm seeking medical help like real doctors to see if they can help me with this alcoholism. I didn't want to call it that. I wanted to call it a drinking problem. And I wanted to blame it on my anxiety. I was not anywhere near ready to admit I was an alcoholic. Um, the doctor's there on the second floor of, I think they call it Mission Hospital now. It's the one in Laguna Beach. Beautiful view if you've ever been there. And, um, and they started talking to me about alcoholism. I was on the dual diagnosis floor though. That's where, you know, my anxiety and depression play such a big part in this alcoholism or in this drinking that that's really what I need help with. And that was what I thought, you know, we got to go um, learn about the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and we were recommended to go to meetings and I went to one or two and I saw the steps on the wall and I thought you can keep your God and you can keep your steps over there and I'm just gonna not drink and I'm going to try harder to focus on anxiety and stress management. So that was in 2008. My sobriety date is April 24, 2010. So the next 18 months were the worst, most miserable months of my life. Because now I am not comfortable drinking or not drinking. I need to drink because I will shake apart if I don't. Um, I couldn't go more than three hours without alcohol. I've got a little part-time job. I still have my daughter, of course, and my husband at home. And, um, and I couldn't make it through my shift at work without drinking. So I had to smuggle in alcohol. And I was always drinking or thinking about drinking or planning my next drink. I'm drinking or thinking about drinking, drinking and lying about it, drinking and hiding it, drinking and hating myself. I hated myself so, so profoundly. But anytime I'm, I think about that, if I, I, I can't even let that feeling in too much, um, and I know that you know, I know that you understand. And if I was in a room with you right now, I know you'd be nodding at me. And um, I, I did have a little part-time job and, and it wasn't at a boutique or anything like that. Um, I was actually um, working in a school with children in the health office. So their, their health care was in my hands. And, um, and I thought surely that there was a special place in hell for people like me, for people who couldn't get their shit together, just couldn't get it together. I just couldn't stop drinking. I must be the horrible, most horrible human being in the world. And I hated myself. And I wanted to be good for my daughter. And I wanted to be good for my husband. And I wanted to be good for these kids at my job. And I just couldn't. I couldn't. And I started getting really sick. I didn't know it at the time, but I had alcoholic hepatitis. 
I was losing weight hand over fist. My hair was falling out. I was bruises head to toe. You just like breathe on me and I bruised. So I'm wearing the long sleeves in the summertime and I'm covering everything up and I'm wearing, you know, tons of makeup, bright red nose, sweating all the time, massive alcoholic problem but I'm still trying to hold it together I'm trying to hold it together until one day I just couldn't I couldn't I had to send my daughter and my husband away on a trip that I was supposed to go on I said no you guys go I just don't feel well you guys go and when they came back I I wasn't sure if they were going to find me dead or alive because I couldn't eat and I couldn't get downstairs to food but I had a stash of alcohol upstairs in my bedroom with me and that's how I survived the weekend they came home came into my room and uh, asked me how I was doing. And I looked at my husband and I said, I said, I'm not doing well. I said, I, I really feel awful. I'd like to talk to you, but please, could you have Shannon, Shannon leave the room? And I looked right at Shannon and my daughter and I said, Shannon, could you please leave the room? I just, I need to talk to Papa. And my husband looked at me and Shannon didn't move and they're both just staring at me. I couldn't figure out why. And I said, please, please, Shannon, I, you need to leave the room. And, and I couldn't even lift my head off the pillow. I'm just laying in bed. And, and my husband is still looking at me a little strangely. And he said, Rami, he said, Shannon's not here. He said, I took her to her dad's. She's not even in the room. And then I just closed my eyes. And I think that was my first real surrender. As I closed my eyes and I knew, I knew that I'm losing my mind. I'm going to lose my life. Something, something has to be done. Um, this is it. And uh, so I, I uh, don't really know what happened over the next couple of days. You'd have to ask my husband. Um, but we ended up back to the hospital. And uh, that same hospital, that same hospital where I was on the second floor with a dual diagnosis and we were afraid of the people up on the fourth floor, those real addicts, those real alcoholics. And um, I went back to that hospital and they put me on that fourth floor because that's where I needed to be. I needed to be there and I needed to deal with my alcoholism. No more talk about anxiety. We don't care about your depression. We don't care about your precious little differences. You are an alcoholic and you're gonna die if you don't stop. And, and I was so terrified. I thought my ex-husband would take my daughter away if I admitted I was an alcoholic. I, I, don't, I still couldn't see my way out of it. And they said, you've got to do something different. And I just didn't understand. I didn't understand what they meant. I still thought maybe I'll just try harder at home until I got the phone call from my husband. I was in the hospital, in a hospital gown, and I answered the phone, and it's him, and he says, uh, I talked to the doctors at the hospital where you are, and they told me that I shouldn't let you come home. I can't let you come home. And, and I was so angry, and I was so shocked, and I was so hurt, and I said, what do you mean? What do you mean? I have a job. I have Shannon. I need to come home. And he said, no. He said, they told me that if you come home, you're going to die, and I don't want you to die. He said, so I've, I've looked around. I spent all night looking around for rehab for you. He says, and I want to send you to the Betty Ford Center. And my response to that sweet, generous, wonderful man that's put up with so much was, how dare you? How dare you? Why are you doing this to me? That's pretty much what I said to him on the phone. And he said he understood that. And he said, but he's not going to change his mind. And he said, here's the phone number. He says, you have to call them. You have to get the bed. They have it available, but you have to do the intake. It's up to you. I love you. Goodbye. And I was, I was stunned and I was angry. And I ran around the hospital listening, you know, telling all my other little detox friends how horrible he is treating me. And can you believe what he wants to do? And all the doctors and all the nurses, you know, they're like giving me a little extra Valium because I'm freaking out. And, uh, and I just started crying one night. I, I was, I, I can't, I can't, how can I, I'm so terrified. I can't, I can't leave home. How do I go somewhere? I mean, I never, I couldn't even survive Girl Scout camp for a week. I can't, I can't go somewhere for a week. What's going to happen? 
And they said, there's a woman that works in our accounts payable department downstairs in this hospital. She went to that rehab center. Go talk to her. See what's going to see what she has to say. And I'm forever grateful for that woman. And I still don't know her name, but every time I talk, I get a chance to talk about her. And I hope someday, I hope someday I'll get to, I'll get to see her and thank her. Cause I went down to see her and, um, I was a little bit calmer now and I was in regular clothes and I got to go down to her office, her cubicle and on her desk, I'll never forget, it was a picture of her and her daughters. And, uh, and I looked at her cause I'd never seen a sober alcoholic before. I'd never seen one. I'd never known one. And, um, and I looked at her and I looked at her family pictures and I said, they're going to send me to Betty Ford, you know, ungrateful little shit that I am. And, um, and she said, go. And she said, do everything they tell you to do and your life will change. And she says, if they ask you to run naked across the lawn, Romy, she said, do it. She said, your life will change. And I said, I, I can't even imagine it. I said, what? I said, that's a picture of you and your daughters. I said, is that recent or is that like long ago? And she said, that's recent. And she's like, why, why don't you understand? And I said, they give you your family back. You know, like you can live a life to these people that work here. They all know that you're an alcoholic. She's like, I'm in recovery. I'm in recovery and they're thrilled for me. And of course, yes, I got my family back. Yes, my daughters love me. We had some work to do, but these things happen. You can be reunited. Things can be okay. You've got to tell the truth. You've got to go to that rehab and your life depends on it. And I said, but what about my daughter? What about my daughter? Can't my husband, my ex-husband take her away from me? And she said, better than you're in recovery, than you're dead. She said, you will die of this. He cannot take you away from her if you're trying to get better, but he will take her away from you if you're going to keep drinking and kill yourself. It's a choice you get to make. And I was like, oh, my God. So the surrender, it's coming. It's happening. It's, it's, I called that Betty Ford Center, and I did an intake. And they asked me all kinds of, you know, what are you willing to do for your sobriety questions? And, and you know, my answer was just anything, anything. I'll do anything. And I'm in tears. I'll do anything. You know, that was my answer. You know, can you do this, that, and the other? Anything, anything. How much time are you willing to commit? All of it, anything. And, um, and funny thing is, 60 days later, I was on the other side of that phone doing intakes for the women at Ashland here in, in Laguna Hills. And it's amazing. It's just amazing what, what can happen when we finally get honest and we can finally surrender. So my husband, I got that bed. I secured that bed. My husband, I asked, he had to pack a bag for me. They told him I can't come home. We packed a bag. We drove across the desert and that surrender got deeper and deeper and deeper. And something inside me started waking up and I started feeling better and I'm not even there yet. And I don't know what that is other than grace. And that is grace. That's my higher power. I was broken wide open and he found his way in and I was saved like on that, on that car ride. And then I got there, we finally arrived and then I got a little scared and I knew my husband was going to leave. And I said, I just want to ask you one thing, please. Can I have your hoodie? <laughs> he always wears a t-shirt and a hoodie. He's a programmer. That's his uniform. And, uh, and he said, yes. And I said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try. I'm going to do this. I love you. And I want to do this for you. And I want to do this for Shannon. And, and I want to get better. And he gave me that hoodie. And, and he left. And there I was. And I was with myself and a bunch of strangers. And I gave them all my stomach medication and, and, and all my antidepressants. And I gave them everything I had and said, I'm yours. I'm yours. Do what you will with me. Fix me. 
And I believe that that was the first time I worked one, two, and three. However, my higher power at that time were the people at the Betty Ford Clinic. And um, and I gave it my all. I gave it everything I had when I was there. I didn't want to waste one single tiny second. And then my husband and daughter came to see me on um, family day. They do that um, every Sunday. You know, they allow the families to come. And I had, I had talked to him on the phone, and I knew that he had to break the news to my ex-husband that Romy's an alcoholic. He got to have that conversation. <laughs> he got to have that conversation with my daughter. And he said, but she's in a safe place, and she's getting better. And he took care of everything. And he drove across the desert again with my daughter to see me on that Sunday family day. And I was so scared of what she would think of me. I was so terrified. I loved her with all my heart. And um, I thought, she's not going to respect me. She's not going to love me anymore. What she, how could she even look at me? And I stood there at the at the door of my, my rehab, you know, where we welcome people. And, um, and I saw them from across, like way across the way. And I, I, I just knew them. It was my husband, my daughter. And uh, she, she saw me. And she ran straight for me. She just ran like across the whole thing. And uh, um, she ran right, stro- right straight for me and right into my arms. And at this point, she's 14 years old, taller than me already. Full grown girl, you know, just jumped into my arms and, and she just held me and she was laughing and I was crying. And I knew right then it was going to be okay. I knew it was going to be okay. But the secret I thought was the worst thing in the world that I'm an alcoholic. It's not. It's not the worst thing in the world. It's not. And I knew it was going to be fine. And, and so my, they came in, and we had this lovely little family time at Bay Ford, and I got to sit down with my husband. And I said, Let's, we have to be practical now. How We can't afford this, this Betty Ford Center. What are we going to do? Is this going to bankrupt us? What is this going to look like? And, um, and he said, it doesn't matter. He said, we're going to figure it out. He said that I knew I knew that this was the price of a life, he said, and I'm willing to pay it, no matter what it is. And I'm still married to this man today, this magnificent, sweet man, and, um, and I thank God for him. You know, he conspired with those doctors to save my life, and I was ungrateful and angry. And now I'm just so glad, I'm so grateful, I'm so grateful, and I want to spend, like, all my time, um, living that gratitude. I've learned in Alcoholics Anonymous that gratitude is an action. And uh, so so we, uh, I got through rehab and I was unpopular there because I was that idiot person, girl, nerd that, you know, didn't go out and smoke with the cool kids. And, and I'm inside doing my step work and my homework and I'm talking to my counselors and everybody else watching Law & Order. That clang noise that Law & Order makes makes me think of rehab every time. And, uh, and I love it because those are happy memories for me and my life changed there. The next bit of fear came in though when they, you know, let me go, uh, 28 days there, just like the movie. And, and, uh, and then I leave and I know I'm going to get my car back and my, my credit card and, um, and I can get myself into a lot of trouble. I know I can, I don't want to, but I never wanted to before either. So what's going to be different this time? And, and they armed me at my rehab with, uh, uh, relapse prevention plan and and basically i had to map out all the meetings i was going to go to so i got out of rehab on a friday night and i went to my uh, women's big book study saturday morning the next morning that is still my home group branch of santa margarita if any of you ladies ever want to join us it's a special place it's a special place ladies there they welcome me um and it's my home it's my home and alcoholics anonymous has uh, grown me um, has raised me, Alcoholics Anonymous. You guys love me till I could love myself. You showed me 
the women in Alcoholics Anonymous showed me how to be a sober woman in Alcoholics Anonymous. I learned not to be afraid of men in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I had um, a relief from all of my anxiety. I was on that pink cloud. I could go places and do things. I just couldn't believe it. It was amazing. And, um, and all through the years, I've, um, I've never wanted to leave. I've never wanted to leave. They told me to, to go to meetings till I wanted to go to meetings, and, and I did. I did. I did everything they told me to do. I, I finally admitted that I was out of any good ideas. I got a sponsor. I got a home group, and they taught me how to be a member of a group and a member of a family, and they taught me how to be one among many, and they right-sized me. At around year two, I, I needed a little right-sizing because I wanted to you know, run the show. I want to be on that steering committee, and I want to make some decisions at this meeting, and I know what's right. And, and they lovingly taught me um, about humility. And, um, and then I got busy in Alcoholics Anonymous. I got super busy in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I got strong. And you guys got me strong enough to look back into some of those demons from my childhood and seek therapy and talk to a therapist about stuff I've never told anybody about the abuses that I suffered in my home when I was a child. And, and I couldn't do that until Alcoholics Anonymous grew me strong, until the steps grew me strong, until my higher power was nudging me, lovingly nudging me, go get help. And I did that. We're allowed to do that in Alcoholics Anonymous. I was, like I said, about three and a half years sober. And um, at five years sober, I um, I finally felt I had my feet, you know, like that chip we get, those chips mean so much. Um, they're markers of time and of miracles. And that V on the chip, the Roman numeral V was just absolutely um, like, it meant so much to me. I just felt so grounded and I was so thrilled. And it was the first time I ever got to speak at a meeting. I was five years sober. Around that time, I started working with my current sponsor. And I just love that. We get together once a week. Every week, we read the book. I sponsor women in Alcoholics Anonymous. I've done that since I was 18 months sober. And that's one of the biggest gifts of Alcoholics Anonymous is working with other women. Um, the miracles are coming true for me. I see them in my life all the time. And I'm just so, so grateful. Um, I had um, something super painful happen for me in um, 2018 is, is my daughter grew up and started having issues of her own. Um, like I said, she was 14 when I got sober and um, we saw her all the way through high school graduation, college graduation, um, but things got difficult for her. She, she started exhibiting um, symptoms of a massive anxiety disorder and, and, um, and she's dealing with that in her own way and, and she up and, and left. And, um, she left. She's gone. Um, uh, I don't know where she is. And um, it's the most painful thing I've ever had to live with. But Alcoholics Anonymous was there for me. You guys were there for me. I never even thought of drinking. All I thought was, when's my next meeting? i got to go to a meeting. And you guys love me. And you love me. And I found healing and service. And I became active in general service, even more active than I already had been. Because when I get busy, I get better. And Alcoholics Anonymous and service has healed me and um, and I carry that wound of missing my daughter and I ask God every day to protect my love for her protect it keep it safe from my self-pity and my rage God keep it beautiful and safe just like you created it and I pray for the day that I'm going to need that love she's going to need that love and it's going to be there and like the prodigal son I'm going to see her again and it's going to be beautiful and um and I know that if it's that's what my higher power has in mind in in mind for me but in the meanwhile, you guys are here. This is my mission. This is my life, and this is my love. I hope 
I hope for everyone here that you find a little bit of something that I found here, and it um, and it's it's more than I ever dreamed of. If um, if I would have sold myself short, if I just went on my dreams that I had um, almost 10 years ago, I'm going to have a quarantine birthday, I think. My birthday's April 24th, so I'll get to celebrate with you guys in Zoom, and I'm so, so super excited. Um, I love this program. I'm grateful to be here. Thank you so much for letting me share. Great. Thank you. Thank you.